Well, it's a great joy to be gathered together on Pentecost Sunday to worship God, and specifically today to give thanks for his outpouring of the gift of the Holy Spirit, his very life to us, the church, and also then to bear witness to the ordination of Chris Dodds to the diaconate. Tonight we are participating as the church in an ancient tradition, setting apart someone for ministry in one of the church's three historic orders, deacons, presbyters or priests, and bishops. Chris, and for, for you and for you as well, Kara, uh, this is the culmination of that calling that you shared with us that you sensed as, as an eight or nine-year-old boy long ago. And obviously for those of us who know your story, as I do and many in this community do, the path from there to here has been rather circuitous uh, in many ways. But honestly, that's part of what makes it such a beautiful story. Uh, an obvious story of God's sovereign grace at work in your life to grab you, preserve you, keep you, and finally to empower you and call you to serve him. He's so clearly guided you to this point. It's a tremendous joy for all of us, for me personally as well as for this whole community, gathered together as a body under our bishop, Steve, to affirm this calling and to ordain you to the sacred order of deacons and ministry in Christ's church. So this is a great moment for all of us as a community to celebrate together. Uh, anytime the church ordains someone to any of the three orders of ministry, whether that be bishops, priests, or deacons, we're all reminded by these orders of ministry of part of the calling upon our lives as the people of God in the church. Bishops protect and defend the doctrine of God's word and the teaching of the church, and they embody the unity of the church. And we, as the people, are called to preserve the teaching of Scripture and to work together to embody the unity of the church represented in our bishops. Presbyters are called to shepherd, to pastor the flock of God's people, to feed God's people with God's word. And all of us, too, are called to do this with one another. We're called to bear one another's burdens, a kind of pastoring of one another. We're called to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the word of Christ, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago. So we participate in that ministry modeled for us in the order of presbyter. But when we come to the ordination of a deacon, as we are tonight, the reminder is powerful and clear to all of us in a deep way. We are all called, each and every one of us, to the ministry of service embodied in the order of of deacons. Deacon, the word itself, comes from the Greek diakonos, which simply means service or ministry. In John chapter 20, which is the gospel reading for Pentecost Sunday, Jesus has just been raised from the dead, something we've been talking about for weeks after Easter, and I hope that we talk about every Sunday at Church of the Cross. And after his resurrection, Jesus appears to Mary, and then later that day, he enters into a locked room with his disciples, and there he then commissions them for ministry. And there are four elements in this passage that I want to hone in on, Chris, as I charge you as you enter into the ordained ministry, and also to charge all of us with, again, because what Chris is entering into reminds us and holds up to us the picture of service to which each of us is called in Christ. So four things. The first is peace. Twice, uh, Jesus says, as he greets his friends in this passage, peace be with you, verse 19. And again in verse 21, peace be with you. There's no ministry 
in the name of Jesus, apart from the peace of Jesus being real in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Colossians 3, where Paul says to the church in Colossae, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. It's no surprise at all that as Jesus enters this room and startles his friends, his disciples, that this is where he begins. Because think for a moment about where they were. They had just betrayed Jesus. All of their hopes that they had pinned on this man had just been completely shattered as they witnessed him being crucified and hung on a Roman cross. The powers of darkness from their perspective had prevailed, and they were no doubt upset, in despair, ashamed, and full of inner turmoil as they sat in the room together wondering what to do. But obviously we know the story. Death couldn't hold Jesus in its grip, and he took his life back again and demonstrated his victory and power to take up the office of king over all of God's creation. And in the covering and protection of his kingly power, now about to ascend to his kingly office, Jesus greets his disciples, peace be with you. I've got it covered. I'm on the throne. I'm in control. You're not alone. Your worst fears are not true. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I hold the keys to death and Hades. We can hear echoes of Jesus' words to his disciples on the night before he was crucified in the upper room in the discourse in John's gospel earlier, where he said, in the world, and this is a great verse for ministry, Chris, in the world you will have tribulation. And there will be much tribulation in the church as well. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Take heart. It's really easy for our hearts to be crumpled by fear and by anxiety, by disappointment, by sadness, by failed hopes and dreams. Oftentimes by the world of a, the mess of a world and sometimes the moral cesspool in which we swim and live. And it's easy when that happens to get curved inward. And this is true for all of us. We turn in upon ourselves, the very opposite of ministry, and we begin not to be able to see beyond our own sadness or self-pity. This is why this beginning is so important in John 20, because Jesus is the sovereign king. You need not to picture Jesus in some of the images that you get of Jesus in art as this, you know, gentle lamb. But you need to picture Jesus when he says, peace be with you, as the gladiator whose blood stained. And obviously not from a violent warfare where he went out and pursued violence unjustly, but because of a violent warfare that was brought against him. But he stands as a conqueror and a victor who's slain the mighty beast that defeats us so often of sin and evil and death and put our enemy finally to rest who says, peace be with you. He speaks this word over your life, Chris and Kara, as you enter into this ministry. He speaks this word over each one of our lives as he calls us into the ministry of his church. Peace. It's such a powerful word. And a necessary word. And it's only, seriously, it's only when we've heard that word. And that word forms the reality of our lives. It forms the covering over our lives. That we can begin in any small way to to make progress along the path of obedience to his lordship and kingship. In the service to which he has called us. Because when the king, I I remember sitting down with a woman a number of years ago and talking to her about the call to take up our life and follow Jesus. And to, in a sense, forget ourselves. And that's what this pronouncement of peace 
allows us to do, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And I said, yeah, this is the call. And she wasn't a Christian. And she, she sort of stopped and her mouth was gaping open. And she said, well, then who's going to look out for you? If you begin to follow Jesus like that and lay your life down for people, how beautiful to testify that it's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who's conquered death, who gives you this word of peace. In the midst of the chaos and craziness, and some of you may be living in the midst of that right now, we all desperately need to hear that word, peace. Not from someone who's not powerful. Not from someone who doesn't have control over all of history, over your past, however broken it is, over your present, however much it doesn't meet your expectations and hopes for your life, and over the future, however much you're afraid of it. The king is declaring peace over his friends. And that's the beginning place of any true ministry, under that banner of the peace that Christ has won for us through his bloody victory on the cross. So the second word from this text, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Every one of us is sent to the church, to the front line. We talk about our front lines in this community, and in your case, Chris, tonight, to the ordained ministry of the church, and specifically today to the order of deacons. But the question is, so how are we sent And Jesus speaks to that to his disciples. He says, as the Father sent me. Well, how did the Father send Jesus? I want to look back at the prologue of John's gospel just briefly as we think about an answer to this question. Being sent as the Father sent me. He sent Jesus to dwell among us, verse 14 of chapter 1. There was no ministry without presence and involvement. Jesus, the eternal word, became a man and dwelt among us. That's about identification. It's about getting out of the comfortable world that we all seek to try to build sometimes and getting into the mess and the muck and the mire of real relationships that cost us something, that are never clean or efficient or what we thought they should be, and yet are the only place that we find God and his life at work. It's about getting into a situation where we're open to pain. This is, interestingly, the only gospel that records that Jesus wept. And he wept in the grief of death with his friends, Mary and Martha. And stepping into the middle of that pain, to be sent like Jesus was sent, is to be thrust into the mess and to stop putting up walls, stop insulating ourselves from difficult people or difficult situations. It's a call to tear down the walls and to dwell among the people of God. I know I speak for the entire community at Church of the Cross when I say this to you and Kara both, that in the nine months or so that we've had together, or a little bit longer than that before you came on staff, we can all testify that you've demonstrated the call to dwell among us very well. Loving people, praying for people, noticing people, greeting people, showing hospitality to people. And it's a beautiful ministry to behold. It's a gifting that God has given you. Jesus wasn't just sent to dwell among us. He was sent as light into the darkness. That light was the light, the life of men. And that light was the result in the prologue again of Jesus being full of grace and truth. And I just want to put put these words out that our ministry is to be marked by grace and truth. And that's the ministry for all of us. The unconditional love of our Father must always flavor our work in the world. 
always be on our lips, offered from one sinner to another as we admonish one another in Christ. And at the same time, an unwavering commitment to the truth of God must be on our lips. It's a truth that cuts and heals. We're sent, as Jesus was sent, to be people of grace and truth. Ministry can easily become grace without truth. We all know this. Or it become truth, can become truth without grace. Not really, but a, a counterfeit version of ministry can become that. And my encouragement is just to let your ministry be marked by both uncompromising in grace and truth. Jesus was sent also to be rejected. This is a really fun one to talk about. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Later, Jesus tells us as his disciples that the world will hate us because it hated him first. I have to say, too many people enter into the ministry of the church to be liked, to gain a following, to build a name. Jesus entered into the ministry of his father to be rejected. Of course, not by all, and not because he provoked it out of a ridiculousness, but by many. And it's because often what God deems honorable and glorious is not deemed so by the world. And what the world deems honorable and glorious is not deemed so by God. And there's a conflict deeply at work there. The whole purpose of Jesus was to glorify his Father, not to be liked. And he was rejected as a result of that commitment to pursue the glory of his Father. Chris, my encouragement is to carry out your ministry among us, not fearing rejection, ridicule, mocking, and the like. Be so committed to seeking the glory that comes from the only God, a glory that comes through radical fidelity and obedience to Jesus, even when it's not popular. This was Aaron's great mistake in Exodus 32. He wanted to be liked. And so when Moses was up on the mountain, Aaron decided that the people's wishes were the right thing to do, and he makes the golden calf. On the flip side, Paul makes it clear in the early parts of Galatians that he is no longer trying to please man, he says. If he were, he wouldn't preach the message that he was preaching because he knew that it wasn't popular. Jesus was sent to be rejected because Jesus was sent to pursue the glory of his Father. Will you and will we take that route? All of us as well. But above all, Jesus was sent for the hour. This is the theme in John's gospel built around this. And the hour was simply the hour of his death. In Mark 10, to jump out of John for a moment, at the end of his segment of teaching his disciples about his death, Jesus tells his disciples that he came not to be served, diakonos, but to serve, diakonos, and give his life as a ransom for many. This is why the diaconate is such an important order in the church, because Jesus identifies his ministry as a ministry of service that is ultimately embodied in his life-giving, sacrificial offering of love of his own person, his body, upon the cross. In John 13, Jesus takes up the towel and wraps it around his waist and washes the feet of his disciples. He takes the lowest place of a servant, but he doesn't just do that. He actually then says to his disciples, Look, as I have done to you, now you also do to one another. You take up the towel. You take the lowest place. You begin to serve with a humility that I've modeled for you, Jesus says. 
And it's this kind of service, model for us in your diaconal ministry, that produces new life, that fruit comes out of. And that's the paradox of God's work in the world. So that Jesus, Jesus says in the chapter, in chapter 12, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of the wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's what he goes on to do. That's what he's saying his life was about. It was about being buried and being raised again in order that life would come out of that death. And it was a death of love. And it was a death of service that bore great fruit. And then he goes on to say, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, and these words are to all of us, not just to Chris and to Kara. These are to all of us. If anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am. There will my servant be also. I'm going to the cross. Now get on with it and come with me to the cross. And take up this love that brings a kind of daily death in your life. That will produce fruit in the world. That will bring light into the darkness. It's the way for all of us. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So we're sent to serve and to die. We're all sent to serve and to die. And the invitation of Jesus to each one of us, especially as we watch and and see this ministry modeled among us in the work of a deacon in the local church, the invitation of Jesus is to come to full life in them by learning the art of death every day, of laying our lives, lives down in love for God and for neighbor. There is no other road of life. And so Jesus unashamedly and unabashedly calls us to follow on that road. But how in the world do we do this? Well, it's Pentecost. That's point three. Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. It says that he breathed on them and then said, receive the Holy Spirit. We do our ministry of death much like Jesus did. In John chapter one, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he describes Jesus as the one on whom he saw the Spirit of God descended. And then he says, I'm baptizing you with water, but this Jesus, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, John says, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus is enabled by the Holy Spirit in his own ministry as the Messiah to go to the cross in love, to be the seed that gets buried in the ground in order that life would come from him by the power, the same power that he then breathes upon the disciples in the upper room. And he breathes upon you and we will invoke the Spirit upon you through Bishop Steve tonight. And he breathes upon each one of us as his servants. Receive the Spirit. You know, the world will constantly draw all of us to a life of comfort, ease, self-gratification, and gaining glory from others. But we're sent as Jesus was sent, to dwell in the mess, to be rejected, to bring grace and truth, to serve, to love, and ultimately to die daily in order that life might come out of us. And so how do we fulfill our calling as those who are sent to serve? We should never try it in our own strength. But we do so in the power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. This lavish, generous, beautiful gift that God gives to his church that Jesus tells his friends to receive here in the locked room. The Spirit, the Advocate, the Helper, the Comforter, the Empowerment, 
needed for all of us to reject a life of self-seeking or self-pity and to embrace a life of radical, self-giving love. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. 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 What's so important about love? Well, Paul says if you do all this crazy stuff for the kingdom but don't have love, you are nothing and you gain nothing. We're called to love. And love is a call to death every day. It's a call to reject our selfishness and to embrace the life of God. And the only way that we can love is through the power of God at work in us, leading us out of our selfishness into life, under the banner of the peace of Christ, the risen, conquering King, who we know will take care of us in our faithfulness to Him. And as we pour our lives out, even unto death, Jesus will be ministering to us, providing us with His strength and power through His Spirit as we go out to live for Him. The Spirit's power in our lives is nurtured by the Word, by prayer, and by the Christian community. And I commend those things to you, Chris, to to nurture the life of the Spirit. And it's also nurtured by a life of holiness, the Holy Spirit. Robert Murray McShane died a couple hundred years ago at age 28 or 29, said this once, one word spoken in righteousness is worth 10,000 words spoken in sin. The Holy Spirit is the bashful one of the Trinity, who we're told in the New Testament can be grieved or quenched by a life given over to the things of this world. And so with this gift, God calls us as his people who are indwelled by this gift to pursue a life of holiness and sanctification set apart by him. The fourth and final thing, perhaps the most difficult one, but I'm almost done. If you, uh, verse 23, is that you're sent out with authority. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins from anyone, it is withheld. I don't mean to splice this out in great detail, but just to say that as you are sent, As you are sent, as the ministers of Christ in the world that desperately needs to hear about his rule and reign and his victory and his invitation to live and to come alive that Boston desperately needs to hear, you are all sent with the authority of God in the person of his spirit. That authority gets parsed out through the three orders of ministry in which you are being brought into tonight, Chris. In a unique way. But it's shared by all who participate in the Spirit of God. And it's an authority for what? Back to Mark 10. The rulers of the Gentiles exercise authority. They lord it over them. But I am among you as one who serves. It's an authority that's given. That's real and that's true. But that's given in order for you to wash our feet. And to serve. So that's what I want to encourage you to do. I need to say that Chris understands this. Uh, At our office uh, in Back Bay, our landlord, for some reason, doesn't like to clean the bathroom on the fourth floor. And I do need to tell you this, because nobody ever will ever, and Chris will never tell you this, but our toilet is cleaned almost weekly by Chris Dodds. And I want to say that that ministers to my soul. probably didn't expect me to say soul, but it does minister to my soul. You understand the call to serve, and that's evident in your life. Kara, you understand the call to serve, and that's evident in your life.
So under the peace of Christ, knowing that he will care for you to the end of your days, and that he will make all things well, and sent as Jesus was sent, to dwell among, to be rejected, to serve, to love, to go to your death, and with the same power that Jesus embodied and gives, the Spirit of God, and under the authority of that one God to serve. I commend you to this lifetime of service, my brother. And I commend all of us to watch Chris as a model, but to model it right back to him as a community of people who take up our cross in the power of the Spirit and bear witness to the King who calls all the world to be.